are listening to Stories from Palestine podcast, a bi-weekly podcast recorded in Palestine and about Palestine. My name is Crystal. I studied history and tour guiding, and I live in Palestine with my Palestinian husband and children. I'm originally from the Netherlands. I am a licensed tour guide by the Palestinian Authority. And yes, you can hire me for tours. Follow me on social media and visit my website to learn more about organized tours and programs. You can find the links in the show notes. I hope you will enjoy listening to this episode. After the introduction of the history of the Nativity Church in the previous podcast episode, we will now start with the virtual visit to the Church of Nativity. And if you are in Bethlehem at the Church of Nativity, you can use this episode as a guided tour. If you want to make this a real pilgrimage experience, you should actually start from the Star Street, which is also part of the UNESCO World Heritage Inscription, together with the Church of the Nativity, because it is the traditional pilgrimage route since the earliest days. It is the route that people take when they are coming from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and it is still the route that the leaders of the Catholic and Orthodox churches follow when they do the processions on Eastern and on Christmas, and they are coming towards the church. It is believed to be the route that Joseph and Mary took when they arrived to Bethlehem, and it is named Star Street after the star that the wise men or the magi or probably astrologers followed when they followed the star to Bethlehem. So when you're coming from the Star Street, you cross the manger square to go to the church. The manger square is named after the manger, which was used for the animal food. And it is said that Mary lay baby Jesus in the manger. Now you're looking at the western part of the Church of Nativity. It is a building with not a lot of windows and very small entrance. The building on your right is part of the Armenian convent. So it's only the smaller wall in front of you with the remains of the supportive buttress and the small entrance that is part of the Church of Nativity. The square in front of the entrance used to be surrounded by porticos and was the atrium of the first church, the Constantinian church. And you can still see some of the columns of that atrium lying around on the side of the church. Now, look at the entrance of the church before you enter. Here we can see a sort of a summary of all what I said in the previous episode at one glance. We see the small entrance, which dates back to the Ottoman time. It's also called the door of humility because you have to bow down really deep in order to get into the church. Above it, you can see the outlines of the crusader entrance with the typical pointed arch. And if you look higher, you can see the outline of the Byzantine entrance. The Byzantine entrance used to have three openings, three arches. This was the one to the right. The rest of it is hidden behind the newer buttress. 
and the rest of the original Byzantine entrance is not visible anymore due to all the renovations. But here you still see part of the horizontal door lintel that protrudes a bit from the facade. The entrance now, the tiny entrance, is only 78 centimeters wide and 130 centimeters high. And there are many different stories going around for why this main entrance is so small. The most heard explanations are that it was made small by the Ottomans to keep invaders out, especially invaders on horseback, and also to keep cattle out because cattle, sheep and goats and donkeys were sold on the market nearby and if they broke loose, they would run into the church. Now, we will have to bow down quite a bit to be able to enter into the church and then we arrive first into the narthex. The narthex was meant to serve the converts to Christianity who had not yet been baptized. I also heard that today, until today, Orthodox women who have their period stay in the narthex and do not enter the church. So the narthex is kind of the entrance to the church before really entering into the sacred area. Right in front of you, you can see a beautiful wooden door made of walnut wood. This door was gifted by the Armenian king Huthum in the year 1227. It is decorated with the typical Armenian cross called the Khakar cross. Traditionally, these crosses were cut in stone and they can be found all over Armenia. They are decorated with floral and geometrical motives. They are very specific in their design. If you're interested, you can research this a little bit more. These Khakar crosses have been added to the UNESCO list of intangible cultural heritage of humanity. So they are very special. And a fun fact in this narthex, according to the status quo, the narthex is orthodox property. It is cleaned daily by the orthodox with exception of the two steps on your right-hand side that are leading up to the Armenian convent on the south, which is cleaned by the Armenians, because that is belonging to them, the steps. And the lamps in the narthex, there are two. The one in the center belongs to the Orthodox and the other one to the Armenians. So if one of the lamps stops working, then either the Orthodox or the Armenians will have to replace them. Now we're going to enter through the walnut wooden Armenian door into the nave of the church. And stop here at the beginning of the nave and look around. We are now on the level of the Justinian church, the one that was built in the 6th century. The floor that we are on is of that time. The pillars that we see are also of that time, but the decorations on it are from later. They are from the Crusader time. The decorations on the pillars, by the way, were recently renovated. They became clear again. They were not visible for a long time. And what we can distinguish now is that on the columns, on the pillars, they painted saints 
and apostles, some crusader kings. We see two of them with Mother Mary, the Virgin Mary, with baby Jesus. And we can see some crusader graffiti, some helmets and other armor, probably the crusader knights who arrived to the Holy Land, wanted to leave some of their experiences on the columns. I remember I once had somebody in a group I guided in the church who thought that they were graffitis and that people had been putting graffitis on the columns. But no, they are old from Crusader time. They were made with hot wax. They would use different colors of pigment added with the hot wax, and that's how they would create these drawings on the columns. They were made by different painters. They were not made by one artist. They were like a testimony to the journey and the safe arrival of the crusaders. What they also symbolize is the important saints and apostles that are kind of symbolically holding up the church, like the columns are literally holding up the church, These saints and the apostles are holding up the church. And for each name day of a saint, when they have celebrations, they will do that near to the pillar with the depiction of that particular saint. Now, if you move towards the right aisle of the church, you will see the baptismal font that is made of one big piece of stone, a reddish limestone that was quarried in the environment of Bethlehem. Near Bejala, there was a quarry where they used to quarry this kind of reddish kind of limestone. And on the side of this baptismal font, which has, by the way, also the octagon shape and octagon eight, the number eight in the Bible is very often used symbolically referring to new life, resurrection. We see a Greek inscription, and the translation of that Greek inscription is for remembrance, rest, and remission of sins of those whose names the Lord knows. During the last renovations, they discovered that inside this baptismal font, there was hidden another smaller font. It seems to have functioned originally as a capital of a column, then it was hollowed out and it is beautifully decorated and then it served as a baptismal font. It is not clear why it was hidden inside the bigger font, what it was doing there, but it is a discovery they made recently. Now, if you go back to the middle of the church and if you're lucky, then you have a chance to see the original mosaic floor of the first church dating back to the 4th century, the church that was built by Emperor Constantine and his mother Helena. If the wooden panels are lifted, then you will see these mosaics and you will see how many small tesseras, small mosaic pieces were used to create beautiful patterns, geometrical patterns, floral motives, animal designs. There is only one mosaic on the floor that has letters, Greek letters. And this is closer to the steps that are going up to the middle apse. And the Greek letters form the word 
ichtus, which means fish. The Greek letters of ichtus were actually an acronym for Jesus Christos Theos Soter. I hope I said that correctly in Greek. It means Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And the word ichtus means fish, and the depiction of the fish, a drawing of a fish, was used in the beginning of the Roman period when Christianity was forbidden and Christians were persecuted as a way to distinguish each other, as a way to recognize each other. They would either use the word or the depiction of the fish, and then they would know if people were also Christians, if they were on the safe side, if they were among supporters. Using monograms on a floor in mosaics was a common use in the Roman period. They used that at the entrances of houses, mainly of Roman aristocrats. And now when we see this ichtus sign on the mosaic floor in the church, and we realize that the first church that was built by Constantine was different than the church today, because where we see the stairs going up to today's chancel of the church, there were actually stairs going down into the grotto, the grotto of the nativity, which is under the apse, under the chancel. So the mosaic with the word ichtus was actually at the doorstep of the birthplace of Jesus, just like these monograms on the floors near to the house of a Roman aristocrat. Here they did that near to the cave of birth of Jesus. From the center of the church, you can also take a good look at the mosaics on the walls. So you have to look up now above the columns and you will see near, down from the windows in between the windows, beautiful mosaics. You have to imagine that the whole church of nativity used to be covered with these mosaics. They covered about 2,000 square meters in the church. Today, we can only see 125 square meters of the total 2,000, only 125. The mosaics date back to the Crusader time, the 12th century. They have been renovated and they are a great work of art. So what do they represent? What do we see on these mosaics? These mosaics tell us the church history. They depict the different ecumenical councils and synods that were held in the beginning of Christianity when they had to answer a lot of important theological questions like the nature of Jesus. Was he only divine? Or was he a human? Or was he both? How to understand the Trinity of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit? And more of such questions. These were answered during these councils. We see that each council is depicted by means of a building, a structure, an edifice, with a scroll with the name of the council and the most important decisions that were taken during that council. Surrounding the council, we find a cantus, an ornament that is based on a plant 
that is used a lot in classic art as an inspiration for decorations. And we see some other decorative elements. What is so beautiful about these mosaics is that the tessera, which are the small mosaic pieces, are so small that they can really depict a lot of details. The biggest one is only a square centimeter big. That's the biggest one. And by using such small pieces of mosaic, they could really create a lot of nuances, especially in the faces of the angels that we can see between the windows. They are of great detail. The mosaic pieces themselves are made of different materials. Some of them are stone, others are glass in different colors, mother of pearl was used, and also they used metallic foil, gold and silver, and then they protected the foil with a thin glass layer. The angels between the windows, you can see they are all moving the same direction. They are all moving towards the grotto of the nativity. Besides the mosaics of the councils and synods, there are also some biblical stories that are depicted. You can find those closer to the chancel on both the left and the right side. On the left in the transept, we see the incredulity of Thomas, who did not believe that Jesus was resurrected and had to feel the wound. And we see the ascension of Jesus on the Mount of Olives. And on the right side, we can see the transfiguration that happened on Mount Tabor and the arrival of Jesus to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Something else that you can see on the right side is the genealogy of Jesus, according to the Gospel of Matthew. So we see some figures just above the architrave, which is the horizontal wooden beam on top of the columns. These are the ancestors of Jesus, who traces his ancestry back to King David. But only part of this lineage is visible. Not all of it is visible. Turn your face towards the main apse, and we can see a highly decorated area, a lot of lamps. It's a few steps higher than the nave of the church. And then we see the Greek iconostasis. An iconostasis is an icon stand. It's a solid screen of stone, sometimes wood or metal, which separates the sanctuary from the nave. So it basically separates between the normal people and clergy and the place where the priests will come and where they will prepare the Eucharist. This icon stand is decorated with a lot of icons. This one dates from the year 1764, and we see Jesus, Mother Mary, Saint John the Baptist, the 12 apostles, and some other saints all depicted on this beautiful iconostasis. This is where the Orthodox church services take place. Now, below that part of the church, below this apsis, that is where the Grotto of the Nativity is situated. And in order to reach it, you will have to go to the southern apse, which is on the right 
side of the iconostasis. But if you are in the church and it is very, very busy with groups and there is a long line of people waiting, you can try to go to the left side, friendly approach the guard, tell him that you are not with the group and maybe he will let you go down into the birth cave from the other side. And then you can skip a long line. But usually you enter from the right side and then you go through the cave and you come out on the left side. When you are waiting to go down the stairs into the birth cave, just take a look at the most significant icon of the church. This is the icon of the Virgin Mary of Bethlehem. It is from the 17th century. And if you look at her face, you can see that she is smiling. And that's why it's also called the Smiling Mary. This is unlike the traditional icons in which we see her usually looking sad or worried because of the fate of her son, Jesus. But here she is smiling because she is in the church of nativity, in the place where Jesus was born. This is the place where she brought her son to life. This icon was taken out of the church at the beginning of the COVID pandemic in 2020. They put it on a truck. They drove around the city. Priests were burning incense and they asked Virgin Mary to protect the city of Bethlehem from the coronavirus. Now we'll go down into the grotto. And as you are going down the stairs, look at the slender columns you can see on your left and right. You can see some of the crusader crosses that were left as marks on the pillars as a memory of the crusaders who had managed to arrive to Bethlehem. And now we are down in the Grotto of the Nativity. And because of all the decorations, the altar, the icons, the lamps, the marble floors, it is hard to imagine that this is a natural cave. But just try to imagine that there's not all of these decorations and that you are in a karstic cave in the limestone rocks of Bethlehem. The cave itself is 12 and a half meters in length and it is about three meters wide. And as you come down the stairs into the cave, the altar of the nativity is on your right. Here you will see pilgrims bending down to touch and kiss the silver star in the marble floor. This is to indicate the place where people believe that Jesus was born. The silver star that we see has 14 points. And this number, 14, is explained in different ways. They may refer to the 14 generations from Abraham to King David, another 14 generations from King David until the Babylonian exile, when the Jewish people were expelled from the land, and another 14 generations from the Babylonian exile until Jesus was born. Another explanation is that Jesus was born to redeem humanity, that he suffered in Jerusalem on his way to the crucifixion, 
and that this is commemorated today by pilgrims when they visit the 14 stations of the cross that go through the Via Dolorosa to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. So that's 14 stations. So that could also be the symbolic reason for the 14-pointed star. Around the silver star, there are 15 lamps burning. These are maintained by the three Christian communities. Six of them are under the care of the Greek Orthodox, five the Armenians, and four by the Catholics. The altar itself is shared between the Orthodox and the Armenians. And if you turn around, you can see on your left side another section with the altar of the manger, which is where the Catholics celebrate. According to the tradition, this is the place where the manger stood. So Mary gave birth and then put baby Jesus swaddled in cloth in a manger. And this is the place where every Christmas night on the 24th of December, the Catholics bring a small statue of baby Jesus from the nearby St. Catherine Church and they put it in the manger and then it stays there until the 6th of January, which is Epiphany, which is the day that they commemorate the arrival of the wise men or the kings or the astrologers. By the way, the original wooden crib of Jesus is said to be at the Santa Maria Maggiore Church in Rome. They've had it since the 12th century. It was brought there by the Crusaders. In 2019, the Vatican decided to return the original crib to Bethlehem, but the people were very disappointed to find out that they did not return the whole crib, but only a small piece of wood, a relic, the size of a thumb. It was preserved in a relic shrine and it was brought back to Bethlehem in 2019. Opposite the altar of the manger is another small altar, and this is dedicated to the Magi, the wise men who came from the East and brought myrrh, frankincense, and gold. And these were products that were traded on the ancient incense route that passed to the south of Bethlehem through the Negev desert. And more about that you can hear in the episode about Avdad and the Nabataeans. There are some scholars who think that the wise men were actually Nabataeans. Now, if you go back to the center of the cave and you look towards the rear of the cave, you will see a door. This is a door of which the Franciscans have the key. This door gives access to several other underground caves that are used as chapels. And these are connected to the St. Catherine Church, which is just next door. The Franciscans hollowed out this passage in the 15th century so that they could create an access to the grotto from the St. Catherine's Church. The door is closed, but you can access the caves from the other side from the St. Catherine Church. And to reach the St. Catherine Church, we're going to go out now from the grotto on the left side, the opposite side from where we entered, and we will cross the apse with the chapel of the Armenians. So we're not going to stay in the chapel of the Armenians, but cross it diagonally 
and leave through the exit. So don't go back into the nave of the Nativity Church, but leave from the small entrance across from the chapel. Keep left and you'll be heading towards the courtyard. And the courtyard is surrounded by a cloister. And as you're walking towards the cloister, you will pass by the entrance to the underground cave of St. Jerome, the cave where he translated the Bible. Usually it's closed from this side, but you will be able to enter it from the interior of the St. Catherine Church. Take right, go into the courtyard, and in the middle of the courtyard you will see the statue of St. Jerome, Hieronymus, who translated the Bible from Hebrew to Latin. He is in the middle of the courtyard. And right behind him is the main entrance to the church of St. Catherine. When you enter into the church of St. Catherine, you will notice there is a big difference in style with the Nativity Church. This is a Catholic church. It's more sober than the Orthodox Church. There is not a lot of lamps or mosaics or icons. There are some paintings and statues, but generally it's much more sober. And we will walk first to the apse on the right side of the altar. And there you will see a painting of Mother Mary. And you will see the statue of baby Jesus that is carried to the Grotto of the Nativity on the 24th of December, every year for Christmas. This is the church from where we can watch the Midnight Mass on the 24th of December when it is broadcast internationally abroad. From the statue of baby Jesus walking back into the church, you will see on your left side stairs that are going down to the underground chapels. These are chapels in the natural caves that are underneath both churches. So there is not only the grotto of the nativity, there are more caves and these also function as chapels. The first chapel that you enter is dedicated to Joseph, and Joseph was the husband of Mary, and it is dedicated to the story of the dream that Joseph had after Mary had given birth, and in this dream, an angel warned him that they had to flee Bethlehem, and that they had to go to Egypt to run away from King Herod, because Herod the Great had heard from the wise men that a new king of the Jews was born. And he did not want anybody else to become the king, so he ordered the killing of small babies in Bethlehem. By the way, this story is only told in the book of Matthew in the Bible and not in any other historical source. With our back to the altar of St. Joseph, we go to our right and there is the Grotto of the Innocents. And in this grotto, there are several tombs in the Arcosolium type, which means that people were buried on a bench. And under the altar in the Cave of the Innocents, you see a low opening. There is an iron grill that shuts it, but that gives access to a cave about five meters long 
where according to tradition, the babies that were killed by King Herod the Great were buried. This cave is only opened on the Feast of the Holy Innocents, and that takes place on the 28th of December. Turning from the Holy Innocent Grotto and walking past the narrow passage is the tomb of St. Eusebius of Cremona. He was the one who succeeded St. Jerome as a superior of the monastery after St. Jerome had died. And then in the next room we have the shared tomb of St. Paula and her daughter Eustochium. And that is facing the chapel of St. Jerome. Although his remains are not here, they are in the Santa Maria Maggiore church in Rome, but it is dedicated to him. And then we pass into the last chapel, which is the chapel where St. Jerome lived and worked and where he worked on the translation of the Bible. And this is called his study room. And in his study room, there is a picture that represents Jerome with Paula and Eustochium and also Eusebius of Cremona, the one who succeeded Jerome as the superior of the monastery. When you leave the caves and get out of the church of St. Catherine, back through the courtyard, go straight on through the Franciscan monastery, and just before you get back to the square in front of the church, look at your left you will find the big image of St. George. And St. George is a Palestinian saint. He's very well known among both Christian and Muslims. Muslims call him Khadr. They relate him to a spiritual figure from the Muslim tradition. And in Palestine, many Palestinians are called either George or Jirius or Khadr, and St. George is buried in Alud, where they have a St. George church and where he is said to have been buried. St. George al-Khadr, the patron saint of Palestine. And with that, I will end the virtual tour through the Nativity Church. <music> And that's the end of this week's episode. Thank you for listening. You know, producing this podcast takes a lot of time and there are also costs for hosting the podcast, for the website and some of the subscriptions related to online recording and editing. So if you enjoy listening to Stories from Palestine, which is available completely for free, then you can do a donation on the Kofi platform, and that is really very helpful, even if it's just a little contribution. Because if all listeners do that once in a while, then I can continue producing new episodes. It's very easy, just click the link in the show notes right after this message. And I hope you will listen again to the next episode.